Our text comes to us from Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 to 44. Matthew 27, 32 to 44. You can find it in your pew Bibles. Those are back if you hadn't noticed. It's also at the top of your sermon outline. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. May God bless this reading of his word. And let's pray once more. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word where you show us the cross where you sent your son to die for our sins on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you endured for our sakes. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for making this truth alive to us that we might see and be grateful to our Savior, Redeemer, and friend. Spirit, open our eyes clearly to this word today so that all who are listening will say, yes, Lord Jesus, you are my prophet, priest, and king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In our study of the gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, we at last come to the cross. And let's remind ourselves of what Pastor John said a few weeks ago. This is the worst form of death devised by human minds. It's literally torturing a person to death extending that agony for as long as possible. It is humiliating, allowing no cessation, no hiding of shame or nakedness. It's suffering for all to see. It's the boogeyman, the thing you raise your kids to fear and avoid. Everyone knew in that day what the cross was and hated it. They didn't speak of it like, like how no one used Voldemort's name, he who must not be named. You just didn't say it. Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be crucified, no matter their crime, because it was considered so horrible. And Jews held it in even greater horror because they remembered from Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is not how anyone would start a new movement, calling people to believe in a leader who is so pitiful as to be put to death on a cross. But this is the most well-attested event in the ancient world, recorded not by, just by Christ's followers, but also the Romans and the Jews. Jesus Christ was crucified. And so let us see 
what this passage teaches us about it. Now, this text mentions Simon of Cyrene with no other explanation of who he was, and it speaks of the wine mixed with gall. What's that? And soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, we can talk about all about those things on Wednesday night at the Sermon Response Fellowship, but today, I want to focus on the three sets of things that people said of Jesus, three attack questions they had for him that they totally got wrong. In fact, these speakers were so comprehensively wrong about Jesus, and we cannot afford to be wrong in the same way. See, these people thought they were taking a victory lap on Jesus, being horrible, sore winners, right? Aren't they worse than sore losers? Sore winners, people who can't take winning. But what was going on was in Jesus, the glory of God was being revealed from the cross. Jesus was fulfilling his role of being our mediator as our prophet, priest, and king, which is what the people could not see and did not believe. And make no mistake, those people who are saying these things represent us. Once again, as a cautionary tale, because we all need to ask these questions and we can't afford to get them wrong. What were they? If you are the Son of God, if you can rebuild the temple, and if you are the King. First, if you are the Son of God. And this is their accusation in verse 40 and 43. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And you have to ask, why were they so offended at Jesus saying he was the Son of God, that God was his Father? To them, this wasn't just crazy talk. This was blasphemy a lie about God. And if Jesus was not the Son of God, then, and he wasn't crazy, then they would have been right. This would have been blasphemy. And ultimately, that's what they crucified him for. That's what the Jews brought him before Pilate to get him crucified for, for blasphemy. And so they were attacking Jesus, asking, well, are you a prophet? Because it was the job of prophets to speak the will and truth of God to his people. Did you know that that's what prophets' jobs were? It wasn't just saying what was going to happen in the future. Although you were a false prophet if you said things that weren't true about God and what you said didn't happen. But the job of the prophet was to speak the will and truth of God to his people. And because Jesus was hung on a cross, the people concluded, no. He couldn't, he couldn't be a prophet. They did not believe God would allow his prophet to endure such shame, which is interestingly why Muslims don't believe that Jesus Christ was crucified. They don't believe that Allah would let his prophet experience such shame. And so they were, these people were similarly saying, if God was your father, you wouldn't be on that cross, Jesus. And if you were a prophet, you wouldn't be on that cross, Jesus. But sadly, the prophets of God have a history of being killed by the very people that God sent them to speak to because they were speaking the will and truth of God. It's actually the false prophets that usually got to live. But this is what Jesus did. And Jesus hanging on the cross was actually fulfilling the prophetic messianic Psalm 22 
Verse 66 and following, you see it in your outline. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You know, it's pretty amazing that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, who all knew this chapter, they all knew this was a psalm of David. And they actually decide to mock Jesus with verse 8, being so confident in their belief that Jesus was a liar. But they were ignoring some very clear things that happened so far. How did Jesus heal the sick, give sight to the blind, voice to the mute, calm the storm, feed the multitudes, and raise the dead? Well, the voice from heaven said how at Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Those accusing of Jesus of blasphemy had to ignore this. The people mocked Jesus, saying, if you're really the Son of God, come down from the cross. Right? right? That logic to them works. Oh, there's no way you could be. You're on the cross. But this was a ridiculous question as well, because Jesus went to the cross at the will of his Father. In fact, John 10 says, this is why that, what makes him the beloved son. For this reason, the father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. All right, so as Pastor John said a little while ago, Jesus was not at the whims of other people. This was not a series of unfortunate events. And Jesus, the unluckiest guy in all human history, Jesus chose to go to the cross. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He intended to come, the will of his Father who he loved. We're going to sing silent as he stood accused beaten mocked and scorned bowing to the father's will he took a crown of thorns and so these people saying come down if you're the son of god come on down and jesus wouldn't he loves his father it's like asking you know just i love my father why would i do something opposite what my father desired it's like someone telling me hey you love your wife go cheat on her and show how much you love her it's ridiculousness but it kind of makes sense because think about how they preface this if you are the son of god actually we've read that before in the gospel of matthew haven't we do you know where matthew chapter 4 then the devil said to him in the temptation in the wilderness if you are the son of god throw yourself down you know i have to say if you had to have one rule in life just one thing that you want to avoid and try to stay away from try not to be the one 
that says the words the devil says, that, that might hold you in good stead. And that's the irony that Jesus points out here in John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to these people, these leaders who were just, uh, just uh, contesting him, he said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And this is Jesus fulfilling his prophetic role in speaking the truth and the will of God. You know, the Westminster Larger Catechism says that Christ executes the office of a prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word, the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. Jesus Christ in coming and preaching the gospel of the kingdom was the true prophet of God. And so we need to see Jesus on the cross and ask, are you the son of God? And there are only two choices. If he isn't, then we agree with the people, mocking with Jesus, mocking Jesus. But if he is, then we have to acknowledge he is our prophet and we need to listen to him. And then the attacks continue with point two. They said, if you can rebuild the temple, in verse 40 saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Well, one, I mean, why were they attacking Jesus with this? Had he, up to that point, torn down the temple with his hands? Had he used his abilities, his, you know, just as, you know, as God, omnipotent God, to just tear it down? Had he done that? Had he even taken so much as a rock and hurled it at the temple? Why was, the answer is no, all right, if you don't know your Bibles very well, so Jesus didn't do any of those things yet. So why was what Jesus said so offensive to them? It's because the temple and its sacrifice, sacrificial system were how they thought they were right with God. It was where they did things and they made themselves good. Does that make sense? They put a lot of trust and hope in that system. They trusted in their sacrifices and offerings, the things that they did. So they attacked Jesus, asking. So this question, can you rebuild the temple? It's asking the question, are you a priest? Because that's who worked with the temple. That's who took the animals, sacrificed them, did all this stuff, went inside, did the stuff in there, went to the high priest, went behind the curtain once a year for atonement for the people on the day of atonement. They attacked him asking, are you a priest? And concluded, no, since he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Who was Jesus to say that he would tear it all down? But they forgot that the point of the temple and its sacrifices were to show atonement we didn't deserve from God. 
And the role of the priest was to make intercession for the people. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. See, we have to look at the cross and see what it represents. Take a cold, hard look at it. It represents all of our sin, yours and mine, and the death we deserve. Don't whitewash it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't minimize it. Don't diminish it. And just like all the dead animal sacrifices were supposed to remind in the Old Testament, the cross was supposed to remind us that sin's consequence is death. The dead carcasses on the altar were reminders that we deserve to die for our sins, but also that God would accept a substitute. But not in animals. And the Bible says that blood of animals can't expunge us of our sins, can't pay for them, can't atone for us. There are placeholders, pointers to what Jesus had come to do and be that substitute for us. And again, we're not making this out of whole cloth. We're not just making this stuff up. Isaiah 53, 6 affirms both that we're sinners and that God is providing a substitute. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was the plan. And we sing songs about this plan. We love Jesus for this plan. Like, behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Why stick that stands in there? Because it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Right, that hymn writer, speaking of the things that we're going to be, oh man, just a, let me give you a taste. In Hebrews chapter 9, when we do Hebrews next, verse 26, it says, the sacrificial system, make, Jesus did not come to continue that with the sacrifices every day, every year, ad infinitum, no. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin, how? By the sacrifice of himself. See, the people were so confident and satisfied with their temple sacrificial system that they had no room for Jesus. Because we don't contribute to what Jesus does on the cross. He did it all. And that's what's so offensive, isn't it? That it takes God himself dying for us to pay for our sins. We'd rather say, we'd rather believe, we, we have a say. We can do something. You know, by our offerings, we might add a brick to the building in Cambodia for the Cambodian church. And we exult, we would rejoice out of love for the Cambodian, the Khmer Christians. We would rejoice for that opportunity, but we do not add a single brick to our salvation. They had no room for Jesus. 
and no understanding, no willingness to understand that he pointed to his own body as the true temple of God, destroyed and about to be raised in three days. But even there on the cross, Jesus is interceding. Again, that's what a priest does. He intercedes for the people. Matthew doesn't record this, but Luke does in, verse, in chapter 23, verse 33. When they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, the larger catechism, which is so helpful in explaining how Jesus is our mediator and how, why we need a mediator. It says that Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for them. This is Jesus on the cross for you and for me. And again, Isaiah 53 describes what Jesus would be seeing and thinking as he endured this. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. It's an odd thing to say that he'd feel while dying for our sins on the cross. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And Jesus knew what he was doing. For the joy set before him, for us, his joy, his reward, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame as he was accounting us righteous in his blood. See, we need to see Jesus on the cross and ask also, can you rebuild the temple? Have you in your blood? in your body. There are only two choices. If he didn't rise from the grave, then we agree with the people in their mockery. But if he did rise, then he is our priest, and we need to trust and be grateful for Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And now we come to the last, this third last accusation. If you are the king, what do they say? He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. I mean, just imagine, isn't it bad enough Jesus is dying in this most horrible way with his back flayed open? I can't even take a paper cut and Jesus had no flesh, no skin left on his back. And he has to hear all of these things, and yet, he did it for our sake. Taking that scorn, that shame. But why was this part? Jesus saying that he came to be king, to usher in a new kingdom, so offensive to the people. Are you the king of Israel? See, we've already seen several times in sermons past how they wanted a very different type of king, right? a king to throw off the shackles of the Romans, a king that would conquer. They hated Jesus so much for being, not being this kind of king that they told Pilate in order to make an excuse to kill Jesus. Pilate was saying, I've run the trial. I can't find anything wrong to kill him. And they said, 
If you don't kill him, you're no friend of Caesar. And these people said, we have no king but Caesar. I mean, they hated Caesar. You have to understand that. And they were still saying this because they hated Jesus more. And they attacked, saying, are you the king? You can't even save yourself. How are you going to save your people? Your name is a lie. So Yeshua, Jesus means God saves. But as we've said before, they missed the sort of king that Jesus came to be and what he came to save them from. Not from subjugations by political power or an empire, but from the bondage of sin and death. And how had he come to do, how did he come to do that? He said so in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All right, everyone else who came before came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the hired hands, they run away, but not so. Our good shepherd king. You know, the very salvation that Jesus came to bring, he would win by dying for his people. Come down from the cross, dying on the cross was the point. The shepherd king has come to lay down his life for his sheep. You know, General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, you got to hand it to an organization that gives its members ranks, right? So it's an Air Force joke for those of you who don't know I'm still in the Air Force. All right, so General William Booth once said, it is precisely because he would not come down that we believe in him. We believe in Jesus as Savior because he stayed up there to die, came down only to be buried, and rose up again three days later. Because Jesus' death saves believers. Again, one more time, the larger catechism says Christ executes the office of a king. And maybe you haven't thought of Jesus reigning as king from the cross, but hear these words. How does he execute that office of a king? In calling out of the world a people to himself. Wasn't he ushering in? Wasn't he inaugurating a new kingdom on the cross? In bestowing saving grace upon his elect. Hasn't Pastor John taught us grace, God's riches at Christ's expense? rewarding their obedience, correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, including sin and death, and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good. And this is what the world could not see. This is what the people could not see. They thought that they were just observing a man in his suffering and shame. But what they were really witnessing was God in his glory. We see King Jesus reigning from his cross. He is winning his people to himself in his death. Saving them from their deserved death and damnation. Jesus is our good king. And so, what do we do with this, separated from Christ's crucifixion by 2,000 years? Lewis, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, you must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You cannot be ambivalent about the cross. You know, if you've, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have to ask, is he also your Lord? Pastor John said this before. You can't have one without the other. Examine your life and see where it is inconsistent with that profession of faith and repent. But the, for those of you who have not yet asked these questions of Jesus and arrived at your answer, this is your day. We're so glad you're here. We love you and ask that you go a step further. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the cross of Christ. You don't need to have all the answers, but that's where you start. Pray and ask us to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you and we'll see what God does. You may ask, why was Jesus' death for us so public? Did it have to be that public? I mean, there's secret rites and rituals and stuff. We don't do everything in public, right? Couldn't it have been done another way? You know, we understand why the Romans wanted to make crucifixions public. It was to dissuade dissent, right? It was supposed to be a deterrent to behaviors that the empire didn't want. And we know that the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, hated Jesus. They wanted it public out of their great hate for Jesus. That's not why it was public. God ordained that it be public so that we could see the death we deserve to die for sin and the mercy we received instead. This is how Jesus fulfills Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Is it nothing to you all who pass by? You know, I have great affection for these words. My cousins and my aunts, they all grew up and went to a church in Queens, Long Island City. Um, and I mean, this church, it's just a big black rectangular cube. I mean, I don't know why they designed it that way. It doesn't look like a church, but but they were brave. You could see this from the train riding out. I guess it's the LI8 coming out. So you could see these words on the top. Is it nothing to you all who pass by? It was written in English. It was a Korean church. So I don't know. Like, just interesting that they decide. I don't know who decided to do that. But, but they understood, or at least I hope they understood back then, that these would be the words of Jesus. See, we're so jaded by all the things we get to see and hear today. Are you jaded from hearing of the cross so often? But the cross was meant to be this visceral kick in the gut that no one could just pass by and ignore. You have to have a reaction. Young people here and over in Bridge, in your store, you know, at home, is it nothing to you as you pass by? 
C.S. Lewis once again said, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. We must ask, what, we must see what Christ has done and ask, are you the king? Once again, there are only two choices. There are no bystanders. There's no Switzerland. But if he is the king, let us follow him as his kingdom disciples and subjects. This is what we believe. You know, Peter wrote this out in 1 Peter 2.24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Rejoice in your healing. If you don't have it yet, pray to understand what that is. You know, I'll conclude by saying, someone did, a, did make a, cha a choice on that day. You know, Matthew doesn't record this, but one of the robbers who were crucified with Jesus started by saying the same insults, right? Verse 44, the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way, saying the same things about these, different to these three topics. But something happened as he observed Jesus as the crucifixion went on. Luke 23, 39, one of the guys, the criminals were hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if we indeed, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He was observing Jesus suffering on the cross. That's the only thing that separated him from the other guy. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And in an instant, it goes from being this guy's worst day on earth and living hell to his last but best day on earth and the beginning of eternity with his Savior in paradise. You got to envy the certainty of knowing this guy and where he ended up. If Jesus says you're with him in paradise, take that to the bank. And so will you listen to these words and will you sing this song, oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee, our great prophet, priest, and king. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for sending your beloved son with whom you are well pleased that you, Lord Jesus, would shine your mercy, your grace upon us, giving us credit for the righteousness only you had, justifying us from our sins. Holy Spirit, we thank you for making this truth real to us, and we ask that you work in the lives 
of everyone here, those who have not yet taken you, Savior, as their Lord and Savior, and for all of these young people who are now just being told that they've got to answer these questions. We all have to. So help us meditate on this word. Sing these songs. Ask these questions and find, yes, Lord Jesus, you are my prophet. You are my priest. You are my king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.